tell them. The others, find them and tell them not to doubt. Even now, not to doubt. Tell them to keep their faith. They must keep faith. Welcome to Defend Warren Podcast here at the Sound United Podcast Studio in beautiful downtown Warren, Ohio. I have a very lovely lady here with me today, Miss Megan Reed, the president of the W.D. Packard Foundation, as well as, what's your position at the Historical Society? I'm the director. The director of the Trumbull mm-hmm. Historical Society. I'm excited to have her on. I've known her, I don't know, we Packard four years now? I was going to say, yeah, about, about four, four years. years. Yeah. So well, I'm going to let her do the chat and I'm going to do more listening. So uh, let's talk first. We want to talk about you, sure. where you're from. Tell okay. us, you know, where you grew up, your high school. Um, I think people would be surprised with this. Talk about that and then what you brought you here. And then we're let's go into the Historical Society. Sure, that sounds great. So I'm actually originally from Pittsburgh. I'm not from Warren. I was born and raised, I was born in Brentwood, PA. And then when I was nine, we moved to Mount Lebanon. So I graduated from Mount Lebanon High School. It's in the South Hills of Pittsburgh. After I graduated high school, I went to Washington and Jefferson College. In That's Was- fancy. <laughs> in Washington, PA. And I graduated with a degree in history and English there. And at that point, went to grad school at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. Graduated with a degree in history with a concentration in museum studies. And at that point, I knew that I didn't want to stay in North Carolina. Um, I knew I wanted to be at least closer to my family in Pittsburgh. Not necessarily in Pittsburgh, but not a seven-hour drive away. So I started applying for jobs. I always knew that I wanted to be in museums. I started working in my first museum when I was 14 years old. My parents were like, you need to do two things. We don't really care what they are, but you need to get into two things, and you need to stick with it. And one of the things I did was start volunteering at Woodville Plantation, which is a very small historic site in Pittsburgh, and absolutely loved it. And from there, started working at the Frick as a junior docent. And then I also spent some time working in the education department at the Carnegie Natural History Museum. And all of those experiences in high school made me know that the museum field was where I wanted to be. I love public history and the more informal learning settings that museums can bring to communities. And from there, I'm in college, did an internship at Meadowcroft Rock Shelter in Avella, PA, which is arguably one of the oldest prehistoric sites in the nation. Where's this at? It's in Avella, Pennsylvania. It's in Washington County. Which is near Washington, the city of Washington, PA? Yeah. Okay. It's, it's a bit of a drive. It's like a half hour drive outside of Washington, the city, but it's still in Washington County, PA. Spent a few years working there in college under their curator, which was an incredibly fruitful learning experience for me. And it was really their curator that pushed me and made me realize that I wanted to go to grad school for museum studies and really take it seriously as a career. Um, But the downside to that is the museum field is super hard to get into. I graduated with a cohort of nine women and only a few of us are still working in the museum field today. Funding is scarce. Every year we see smaller budgets across federal and state lines and with local historical societies like ours, it's very difficult to have the funding to hire full-time staff at pay amounts where, you know, we can retain people. I knew it was going to be hard getting a job after I graduated college. I ended up actually being hired in Warren. My first job here was 
a very part-time, I think it was 20 hours a month, as curator of the Sutliff Museum, which is in the library. And from there, ended up meeting some of the people involved with the Historical Society. And they very graciously voted to bring me on as their director at nine hours a week. So at the time... Big workload. Yes, exactly. Well, and it was so intimidating. I was 24 years old and I was working three part-time jobs. So part-time curator at Sutliff, part-time director at the Historical Society. And then I was spending most of my days as the registrar in the collections department out at the Maslin Museum in Stark County, which was an hour and a half drive out there. a long drive. Yes, it, it was. And I actually was living in Akron and commuting both places mm. for a year. Um, and then after that first year, I knew that I wanted to be in Warren. Um, I moved here. We were able to consolidate some of my hours at the Historical Society. So I stepped down at the Sutliff Museum. And then I was spending half my time at the Historical Society, half my time in Maslin, working or living in Warren. And then it wasn't until two years ago um, that the Historical Society, we were able to fundraise to make me full time. And then we just hired our second full-time person this year, which is really exciting. (laughs) (laughs) I assume that uh, helps you out a little bit with the workload. Yeah, I love it. It's, you know, it's more than that. It's just having somebody else in the office to bounce ideas off of. It's really hard to be in a field where you need to be creative and flexible and, and working by yourself. And even though I have volunteers in the office almost every day, it's still hard when you don't have somebody with the same background who has that vested interest Mm -hmm. that you do. And it's been incredibly helpful this year having somebody else to just chat with projects about and think about planning and see where we want to go. And I also feel very strongly, especially in the nonprofit world, but in all sort of work environments, that like there are things that I'm good at and there are things I'm not good at. Mm-hmm. I, I hope that I'm aware of most of those most days. <laughs> and there's no way that I'm going to be able to do everything ever the best it can be, right? right? I feel very strongly that it's so important to have somebody working with you that is good at things you're not good at. Right, absolutely. Yeah, and Sarah very much has been able to balance out a lot of that for me. Um, she's much like more detail-oriented, and she's able to do a lot more of the organizational kinds of things. I'm very much a big-picture person. Mm-hmm. like Strategic planning, development, all of that is very much in my wheelhouse. And so the day-to-day grind of things, she's able to help me with that a lot. And it doesn't just help me with my workload, but it's very much a healthy thing for the organization moving forward to make sure that we have both ends of that spectrum. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So talk about uh, what is the Trumbull Historical Society? What do you do there? Yeah. Um, What's happening there? Good going on. Yeah. So the Historical Society, most people don't realize how old it is. Um, We were actually founded in 1843. I know. I wish everyone could see the look on your face. (laughs) We'll have a face for radio. Yeah. No, it's perfect. Um. And yeah, we were founded in 1843 by Thomas Denny Webb, who eventually lived in the Edwards house. Um, So we steward the oldest remaining home in Warren. It was built by John Stark Edwards in 1807, eventually purchased by Thomas Denny Webb and his family. We were incorporated as a formal nonprofit when we acquired the house in 18, I'm sorry, 1938. And since then, the Historical Society's goal has been to preserve the history of Trumbull County and, of course, to preserve the Edwards house and to save it for Warren and for future generations. We've gone through a very sharp development curve over the last few years, and it's been a really exciting opportunity for me to be a part of. 
when I was hired at the Historical Society at that nine hour a week job, the reason why it was so the, the hours were so limited was because the board had never hired somebody on staff before. It was always a volunteer run organization ever since we were founded and incorporated. It was in 2015 when I was hired that the board made the leap. They knew that they wanted some kind of professional help. And I was hired really as a trial run to see, you know, there were a lot of board members who at my first time I met with the board, they were like, do we need somebody here? And it's like, yes, yes, we do. Did you know that you were, when they hired you, that it was a trial run or did you find yeah. that out after the fact? Okay. No, I definitely knew it was a trial. There was a the contingent of the board who was very much pushing to hire somebody at okay. that time. But there were members of the board who were skeptical, reasonably sure. so, you know, could we afford it? What exactly would that look like? So many of those situations depend on the person you're hiring and the goals that you set together. After that first year, and we knew that we were able to meet our fundraising goals and that the community was bought into what we were doing, it made things a, a little easier in terms of fundraising. Um, but I'm the biggest proponent of strategic planning that you will find. Um, I will like put my foot down and say that I don't think it was until the board and the community came together mm -hmm. to write our strategic plan to figure out where we wanted to go, that momentum really, really picked up. And that was, for me, one of the most sort of accomplishing professional mm -hmm. moments that I've had in my life, that we were able to come together and say, These, this is our goal for the next five years. And that's, I believe, why we've seen the support that we have, not just from local community donations and sponsorships and funds, but also state and federal grants. That we, we have a, a sort of grassroots approach to the work that we do. We bring the community into our decisions. And when we make those decisions, we know that we're backed by, by what our supporters want. It's not just, you know, one or two people sitting in the office making those calls. And I would also say that our board, we have 17 members of our board who are incredibly supportive and wonderful and amazing. Your board has 17 people on it? Yes, we do. <laughs> That's a common <laughs> reaction. I'm not judging. I'm just curious yeah. how anything gets accomplished with 17 people. It's, you know, I give them so much credit because it, it very easily could just like melt into yeah. this five hour long board meeting right. schedule. And the president of our board, Julie Green, does a great job at like sort of wrangling people in. We set a very clear agenda beforehand of what we're accomplishing. And every once in a while, something will come up and sort of, you know, different factions will mm -hmm. occur. But overall, everybody trusts each other. We all know that, you know, we're going in the same direction. Our board meetings are generally pretty smooth. And we've also done a ton of work internally and this is something that I don't think the community knows enough about, mm -hmm. that we've done a ton of work internally over the past two years to make sure that our organization flows and operates effectively and appropriately. And that includes going from 12 standing committees when I started in 2015. A few years ago, we consolidated those to seven. And then just this past year, we've gone down to three. Um, and the amount of work that goes into that consolidation and making sure that the community members who sit on those committees are prepped and mm -hmm. all of the work's being done through those committees, how it should be done. Um, it takes a lot of time, but at the end of the day, it's definitely been worth it and just making sure that we're effective at, at the work that we do. So you're preserving hi local history? Yeah. Um, promoting yes. local history? Yes. So we preserve, we promote, and we educate. So the three, our three strategic priorities are preservation, education, and what we call keepers of the flame. 
which is like, I like ad- it. yeah, I like it. <laughs> it's like advocacy. Like we are the keepers of the Trumbull County flame. Yes. If people are going to care, you know, we need to make sure that we care and that we Absolutely. are here like as a resource for them. So we um, we advocate on a local, a state and a federal level for funding um, for organizations like ours. And I'll break those down, I guess, very briefly. Sure preservation we collect uh we have a collection at the historical society of over twenty thousand items related to trumbull county history wow yeah um some of those are display on display at the edwards house but that is a complete soup to nuts collection so framed work early land deeds military records letters that were written throughout time um business collection different businesses that we have items from um sports collection military collections household goods collection framed work so painters that have come through, we have over 70 framed pieces in our collection. So education, we do programming throughout the county. We have in-school programs for fourth and eighth grade students, as well as every fourth grader from Warren City Schools comes through on a field trip every year. And that's a project or a program that's open to all students throughout the county. And they just need to call us to set up a field trip or an in-school program class. Um, And then in addition to that, we do a free lecture series the first Sunday of the month. We provide um, a second Saturday walking tour series of different townships throughout the county and in Warren. That's something that it's an inaugural series. We started it this year. We also do um, education programs around historic preservation. So we do a historic plaque program. And actually that kind of goes into advocacy, the keepers of the flame too. Um, But we do a historic plaque program for homes that are over 75 years old. So if there's a resident that has a personal home or commercial building that's over 75 years old and they'd like to do a historic property report on that building the property report comes first and then once we have more information on the building then we score the property with qualified architectural historians who help us determine whether the pro- the property is qualified for a historic site plaque because there's a lot of buildings in this city over there. 75 oh my years gosh old. they all are it's yeah. crazy yeah i know they're they're buildings that are from like the 1940s i think we're up to 1943 now so 1941, 1942, who have gotten plaques and people are like, why? It's not, you know, technically historic, but or, or I guess it is historic, but there's no like particularly historic historical event right. associated with it. Um, but the fact that the building has stood up through time and hasn't been changed. And that's the biggest thing with our scoring. The property can't have um, with stylistically inappropriate materials. It can't be changed very much. I see. And you can do upgrades. You can. Um, do renovation work, but the building has to relatively, um, and we have a scoring system we use for that with different categories, um, be original to... You and another local, I call him a historian. Yeah, for Although sure. he's not, <clears throat> excuse me, an official historian such as yourself, well, but he's definitely... Uh, he knows sometimes he knows, more than I do. <laughs> well, he's very knowledgeable, Mr. Josh. How do you mm-hmm. pronounce his last name? Navado? Nativio. Nativio, okay. Yeah. So when he hears this, sorry, Josh. <laughs> um, you guys recently put out a book. We did. Tell me about it. Yeah. So uh, it's it's really exciting. We're right in, smack in the middle of it now. Um, so about a year and a half ago, we started this process. Josh and I had had a few conversations about how Warren doesn't have a history book that brings us post-1920. Hmm. Um, at this point, the canon for historical academic you know research books is really been Harriet Taylor Upton and she wrote her book in 1909 Hmm. Um, so in the industrial era here and more in post-industrial era is really what makes up who we are more than any other era today right absolutely so we we definitely saw 
a need for it. And Josh and I, through the work, just separate work we do, I think both came to an understanding that the book needed to be written. And one day we just filled out the contract for Arcadia Publishing and sent it in as kind of a fingers crossed, we'll see what they say. They came back and they were super on board and they were like, yeah, you're green lighted, go for it. And we were like, ah, (laughs) it's so exciting. So it took about a year for us to compile all the images. And um, this is one thing that I would want to be known is that we went through over 1,500 images for the book. And at the end of the day, there's just under 200 that were selected. And they have very strict criteria. So there are some pictures of Warren that were just not high enough resolution or were too small to use and just didn't fit necessarily with the themes that we ended up choosing for the book. But it's broken down into five chapters. And Josh and I went through every image together, selected which ones we thought would be appropriate for the book, and then captions and yeah, yeah, the rest of the text. It was a really exciting project. We've sold a ton of them. It's been crazy. Where can you get the book? So the book is available if you want to pick it up in person um, as of Monday, because right now we're out. Our next shipment comes in today. Um, as of Monday, they'll be available at the John Stark Edwards house. I'm at All American Cards and Comics downtown. Um, Tag, Trumbull Art Gallery is also purchasing some. And so is Bliss Spa downtown as well. Bliss or blush? Blush. blush. Thank you. You're I'm sorry. Welcome. Yes, on market. Um, and then also eventually they'll be available at the Howland Giant Eagle. But I don't believe they've had their shipments arrive yet. Okay. Um, and if you want to order online, it's available through our website. We're doing a discounted price right now of $18. It, re- it retails for $21.99. And then um, it's also available on Amazon or directly through the publisher at Arcadia Press. What inspired, was it just you and Josh got together and said, we need to do this? Or what inspired, what kind of brought it together? And then what was your ending objective to this? Um, I know we talked about there hadn't been a, a book or any, yeah. anything documented did it just kind of come together organically like you and Josh were just sitting around talking one day and then hey I have an idea so so Josh and I would both have different answers to that question and okay. I'm going to speak for him and if he's listening I hope I get this right oh he'll listen <laughs> but um for Josh I would say he came to this realization for the book because he saw so much of Warren that was gone right there's oh, yeah. so, so much so much of Warren that's now lost and he has this a very strong fascination with what was, right? Like what was here, what's not here anymore. And he feels very strongly that that needs to be documented. Um, Agreed. I, I completely agree with that. My number one motive for doing the book, there's a lot of pessimism in Warren. You know, that's Agreed. one of the things that I have just felt very palpably since moving here. Mm-hmm. Um, And I, I get it. Like there's been a lot that the community has gone through and there's a lot to latch on to if you want to be pessimistic right. about things, right? I feel very strongly that it's important <laughs> to have some hope Absolutely. and optimism. And people in Warren, especially with our history, don't have many tools when it comes to uplifting that image of what we are and who our identity is. And I hope that this book and the pride of what's come out of Warren you know, that idea of the city of modern methods, the industry that came out of here, even just the, the amazing people of or the amazing stories of the people who brought us to where we are today. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that people will read the book. They'll read about those people and those stories and see what Warren has accomplished through time and use that as a tool to be more 
positive and optimistic about where we can go. I agree. And And the pessimism is a a big problem. When you have, the city's old. Mm -hmm. Uh, 1798 was when Mm -hmm. it was established. Um, I'm sure you know all that. uh, (laughs) The city is old, and so it's gone through a lot of changes. Mm -hmm. Mostly, once the uh, mills shut down, it was was like turning the lights out. You have the auto industry, same thing. I mean, granted, GM was out in Lordstown, but it still affects Warren, and that's more recent. But with Packard and Mm -hmm. all the other industries that just kind of folded with them, we've dealt with, I would say, 40 years of negativity economically. Trying to change that mentality from what was the good old days, which they're always good old days. I don't care how, it's good old days when I was a kid. Everything was heading south as I was growing up. But having that focus of the good old days and realize that we can still create good old days now, it's just not going to be the same. Yeah. And I think going off of what you're saying too, one of the things that I've had, I've just thought about a lot with the work that I do is sort of a bias we have within the generations. And that's another bit of it that I hope, at least in some small way, we can help people think through more. I can't tell you how many meetings I've gone into where people say, millennials aren't interested in history. And of course they're talking to me, I'm 29. I'm very smack dab right in the middle of the millennial generation. And I love history. And a lot of people I know do. You can just look at the success of Hamilton, the musical with the younger generations to know that history is still important. It's still relevant. It's never not going to be relevant. It's just how you present it and how you relate to people and engage people. That has changed. I hope it's my goal with the Historical Society that we can meet all audiences where they are. And that also goes, you know, within generations and also in terms of um, demographics, such as like gender, race as well. Mm -hmm. I think too, uh, a lot of the youth, which I'm really glad you have that program for the fourth and eighth graders. Mm -hmm. They don't know who the Packard family was. Mm -mm. They don't know who the Perkins family was or Harriet Tubman or any of the people who've come through Warren, been in Warren, born and raised in Warren. Granted, they were from a long time ago, but they've left a lifetime of a legacy that's gone through multiple generations. Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer of the broken window theory, where a building that has a broken window, if it doesn't get fixed, people are going to realize no one cares about it and they're going to break the next one and break the next one. Before you know it, they're all busted out and you got a destroyed building. But if you go and fix that building, fix that window, people realize, oh, that's somebody's, we care, someone cares about that or enough people care about it, they're, no, they're not going to bust out the rest of the windows. And that, I think that applies here too, where if we're not teaching kids our local history and the people who've been very successful with a mill shut down, you, you can yeah. continue to cry and hope that comes back or not. And you continue to teach them, look, these people accomplish great things. There are your, technically your roots, it may not be your blood roots, but this is where you're from. You can do it too. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. And I, I think that it's so important that nonprofits in this area think along the lines of CDCs, like Community Development Corporation. Mm-hmm. So technically, when you look at it, Warren has Trumbull Neighborhood Partnership. They do amazing things yes, in do. the community. They're all, in my mind, in my opinion, all nonprofit groups need in Warren to look at what the community needs, what's their mission, and then based on their mission, how can they meet that need, right? Mm-hmm. And that's like we all need to be buying into some level of CDC work to make sure that our community is uplifted and that we're working along the same lines together. Mm -hmm. 
that there's so being disjointed isn't going to fly and make things better right when you're it's unorganized and chaos yeah um so like for instance one of the things the historical society we it, again strategic planning we knew that we needed to expand the john stark edwards house built in 1807 it's 1300 square foot home where all of our operations including our collection storage is and we we're quickly running out of space and so when we were looking at how we were going to expand we ended up purchasing a vacant historic building on Warren's Millionaire's Row. It was built in 1894, sat vacant for six years now. Over the next year, we'll be renovating it and bringing it back to productive use That's great. in the community. Yeah, I'm very proud of that project, not just from a community standpoint, but also from my background with museum studies and public facing programming. I'm really excited for what that can do for us. But there does need to be this bigger picture look at our communities and how we can, as nonprofits and individuals, it's a slow process. You know, I'm not saying it's not sure a step by step thing, but we need to look at how we can like incrementally just build things up to a better space. Agreed. I think, too, with all that in mind, if we're looking for um, industry to come to mm-hmm. warn to create jobs you get enough of the community involved to show that they care i think that also sends a message to a company that say you know this community this city these people care about it this would be a good place to locate our company where we might end up living mm-hmm. and aside the point of this podcast today is to talk about what you're doing but a little <laughs> a little bit off topic is the economic side of being here it's mm-hmm. a very reasonable place to live there's plenty of land to be developed. So doing all those things, I hope, would also then aid in economic development mm-hmm. with creation of jobs indirectly. Uh, let's change yeah. subjects a little bit. Sure. Uh, you are also involved with the W.D. Packard Foundation. I am. Which is lots of fun. And so are you. <laughs> <laughs> well, this ain't about me. But, uh, yeah, we uh, we work together on that. We've, we've, we accomplished, we accomplished a big, for us, a big deal. We did. And, uh, well, let's talk about the transition to who is now the president. Okay. And um, what our first project has uh, that we successfully completed over the past, what, two years? Yeah. So I need to stop for a second and just give a huge shout out to Jim Fogarty of Two Takes and a Dog Production. Jim um, was the past president who passed his hat to me this past year. Um, when I stepped into the foundation, it was 2000 it was right after i moved to town my goodness it was 2015 really i know i actually that was the first board i stepped on it was just a couple months after i came to town Mm. jim and i had a couple of really great conversations and kind of went from there but um but jim was really the one he's been involved with um different packard music hall packard park organizations over time and he really saw the need to bring back the packard foundation and get it rolling again and bring people together to make that happen. It was with the help of um, Pat McLean and other very supportive community members that we were able to receive funding to make the elevator at the Packer Music Hall happen. And that was a, I believe, $700,000 project that culminated in the the elevator as well as some other ADA compliant upgrades and some renovations to the women's bathroom facilities at Packer Music Hall. And for those who don't know, sorry to interrupt, there was no elevator in the music hall. Right. And it's technically three levels. Yeah, two and a half. Two and a half levels. Yeah. So there was no elevator. And so for some of the concerts where our elderly mm-hmm. would want to go to yeah they had to climb stairs if they if they were even going to go if they couldn't get a floor seat so yeah getting to the balcony i know jim always said that that was his biggest motivation for really launching that project was 
making sure that everybody in the community could have the view right. of the balcony. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so Jim was really the one that pushed that project through, made that happen and, and got us to where that project is completed. But the foundation as a whole, our goal, like our mission is to provide funds for projects that support the legacy of W.D. Packard and his vision for the park. So the first project that we started, yes. my goodness, so long ago now, <laughs> was renovations to the Japanese tea garden. Most people don't know that it is the second tea garden, that Japanese tea garden that was started in the country. Um, the first one was in San Francisco, and then W.D. Packard was so inspired by that tea garden um, and by sort of Eastern culture in general that he built the second tea garden in the states here in warren ohio which is just a, again you're going back to the history of this city i know it's awesome it's amazing you you just yeah. don't know it until someone tells you we just yeah we, again a little bit off topic but we get so wrapped up in what has happened all that negativity mm-hmm. and we don't remember or we choose to forget the positive things so yeah. i'm very i'm very glad you brought up that point i think it's important to to remember the good stuff oh absolutely yeah, and so we've we had the pagoda painted. Um, our team, James and I both know, um, ripped all the wood for the fence. Um, that and, was an exciting project. Oh my gosh, we spent hours hours in, in the cold Tim basement. basement. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, thanks for Tim for for providing yes, that space. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, cutting the wood and assembling that fence, and then the guys over at TMP very generously donated their time to install the fence. And so we did the fence, we did the pagoda painting, and then just a few weeks ago, we installed the plant, the new shrubs. And just generally, we've spent many, many volunteer hours over there on Saturday mornings cleaning up that area, cutting out overgrown shrubs and weeds and, um, yeah. Just general cleanup of that uh, area. Yeah, yeah. So that project we're hoping to have completed over the next month. It's been Hoping. three years, <laughs> so yeah. Well, Let's cross that, our fingers, hold our breath, and say next right. month. When the elevator project got dropped in our laps, then yeah, everything that, got put on hold. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited for the, the tea garden. I, mm-hmm. I, I think it's going to be an ongoing project mm-hmm. for the for sure. near future anyway. It, it has yeah. a lot of work. It still needs to be done, but it looks much, much better than it did before yeah. the Packard Foundation had started working on it. For sure. Part of the money that was gifted to us for the elevator, we were able to do some ADA compliance, like mm-hmm. you said, and do those things. But there's also potential for other work oh, yeah. in, the, uh, in, the music in hall. the music hall. And we are looking for donors for those projects. <laughs> Folding money works much better than jingle <laughs> money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Although jingle will work uh, too. There's so much work. And there's, there's so much work and there, there's, so, there's such a need for invested community members Absolutely. to be involved. So even if it's you can't donate financially if you know volunteers are always super helpful but yeah there's a bunch of projects that the foundation and i don't know how in depth we really need to go and hear about this projects but well we just helped complete one yes which was the sign out front thank you yep to talk about now i'll be honest i missed the old sign not because it was so (laughs) not because yeah it was all nostalgia because it was i don't know what the the packer music hall is built in the 50s if memory serves me correct and i'm sure that sign was with it and it had that feel but you just couldn't 
what well, was just so banged up and you, yeah. the letters wouldn't stay up. It was just a hot mess. Yeah. And now we have this big new LED sign. It's beautiful. It works it wonderfully. You have the, the Packard sign above it, yeah. the two Packard sign, the Packard and then the Packard band it above does. it. It looks great. It is great. Yeah. It looks wonderful. And that was a, there were a ton of people that gave to that project too. Yes. Um, we gave. Talk about community involvement. Yeah, that was definitely a collaborative effort. Um, and I would also want to give a shout out to the Packard Music Hall board, who's been very supportive of the projects yes. that we've done and their president, Denny Rossi. We've worked well together Yeah, with them and us. And for those of you who don't know, they need to approve all changes that are funded. Literally. Literally. Yes. <laughs> There's no exception to that role. Yeah. So they run, they, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Uh, they, they, they run Packard, the building. They're responsible for the building. and Yeah, through the Packard Trust. Anything that needs to get, anyone wants to do in the building. They have to approve they those have to changes. Approve. Yeah. 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 So we, we have a very good working relationship and that's honestly the reason why we've been able to do together the projects that, that we've done. There's a, there's a, I'm hoping over the course of these podcasts, we will see a lot of the good that has been happening over the past four to five years here yeah. in Warren. Um, I'm an impatient soul, <laughs> so it's not happening fast enough because I think it can happen faster, but that's another subject. But there's a lot of good things that have been happening yeah. here. I mean, these little things, lots of little things add up to one big thing. Absolutely. Even just this last year, when I first moved to Warren in 2000, it was 2016. I was living right downtown on the square. I could get a parking spot any time of the day I wanted, anywhere. You know, there it was just all, it was very easy to get in and out of downtown. And now I go down in the middle of the day and have to drive around three times mm-hmm. before I can find a spot or park in the parking deck. And it's so nice to see um, between Nova and the brewery opening back up and the winery that's now there. Sean and I were there last night. Amazing. It was packed. I was it was a Wednesday night and it was packed. This is my first time there. It was fun. And yeah, it's like even yesterday when we we did a book signing, or it wasn't yesterday, it was Wednesday. We did a book launch party at Nova and we had about seventy people there. We sold over a hundred books that night. And I know. I was I when Josh and I first started that project, I would have bet money that we would have had trouble selling the first 160 books that we ordered and we're already almost through our second. Wow. I had an interest. I was at a meeting. Mm-hmm. Most of the people there were older than me. I'm 47. So they were our mid 60s, long story short. Mm-hmm. And um, it was concerning something else that will eventually be on my podcast, but I'll save that for later. <laughs> yeah. Um, and another young man was in there. He's younger than me. He's, I don't know how old. How old's Brandon? Brandon. Giovanni. Giovanni. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. He's in his 20s, something. I don't right. know, Brandon. When you hear this, sorry, dude. <laughs> anyway. Uh, The idea of, you know, there's all these things going on in Warren. Where are you going to park? And he Mm -hmm. brought up a good point. Listen, you go to Cleveland, you go to any big city, you find a parking deck and you park and you walk. And that's what is now happening in Warren. Now, granted, it's not as packed as as maybe downtown Cleveland during an Indians or Browns game. But it's filling up. Mm -hmm. And we do have a parking deck. Mm -hmm. Um, It's right there. There is a cut through through one of the buildings on the square. So you don't have to. Yeah. It's not that big of a far of a walk, let's be honest. Yeah, but it's not. You know, um, there there's places to park. Yeah, that deck will hold plenty of cars for sure. And there's plenty of parking downtown in general mm-hmm. still. So we have to change. Going back to changing our mindset. Look, if we want good, if we want economic growth, 
among other things, Mm -hmm. there's going to be a price. And if the worst of it's lack of parking, we're in good shape. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) So there's there's it's coming along, and Mm -hmm. and um, I'm I'm excited that we're heading in a positive direction. I haven't seen, and and I've seen things come and go. Yeah, I haven't seen this big of a groundswell Mm -hmm. in my lifetime. Yeah, and maybe I'm wrong. And you mean get some people who are older than me and say, yeah, we had this or that, but I haven't seen this big of a groundswell in a long time. Yeah, it's exciting. I'm excited. So, uh, again, you, you you hail from Pittsburgh. Yes. And now you're living here. Yes. One of the objectives, as I mentioned before, mm-hmm. before we started recording, yeah. was to kind of promote um, some positivity, which you've you've done today. How, how well have you uh, – t- talk about your adjustment moving from Pittsburgh to here. Okay. And just your overall goods and bad, you know, pros and cons. Yeah. We talked about the pessimism. Everyone from Warren, Ohio knows that's a Mahoning Valley issue, right? <laughs> but uh, tell a little bit about that. We still have some time. It was definitely a culture shock moving here. And that probably sounds a little strange because I'm from also, people think of Pittsburgh as kind of a Rust Belt community, although right. I don't, that was not my experience growing up. Um, my grandfather worked at a tool and die shop. Like my family comes from, you know, that sort of common heritage. But moving to Warren I've never lived in a town first of all this small and connected and it's definitely a very different community than I was ever used to working in or or living in with that said I love it (laughs) it's it's, it's really it's it's a it's been very difficult for me to balance all of that honestly the last few years living here because it's just so different but in such kind of a good way too um everybody's supportive and kind to each other um when I first started my job I felt very welcomed and people see that you care and they give back right yeah from starting my job to moving here to doing the book and you know the different highlights we've had with the historical society over the years everybody has there's just a lot of heart in the Mm -hmm. community even with all the pessimism that we've talked about today there's a sense of appreciation and camaraderie just kind of fun Mm -hmm. that's here that i've never experienced anywhere else and that means a lot to me and and i can't tell you how appreciative i am that people sort of supported me mm-hmm. in the work that I've done. Yeah, it's Talk been, a little bit about that. Y- you know, Are you talking about specifically through the Trumbull Historical Society or maybe when you first moved here, getting involved? Yeah, you know, it's both. Yeah, so most places where you go, you know, you go to work and you leave, mm-hmm. right? You, you go to work, then you go home. Warren doesn't have a go work and go home. It's always both. Yeah, you know? right, right, yes. And that's... That's a good thing and a bad thing. Yes. Like I, you can't go out to the bar on a Saturday night without running into someone who wants to talk about something at work, right? right. Like that just does not happen. But they do it because they care, right? And that's more important, right? At least to me. I agree. And and you can't really get away from it. Mm-hmm. And you know, some days, you know, a couple times a year. I mean, everybody that's close to me knows, like, I just need to, like, back away, you know? I'm just like... I'm going to the woods for a week. I go to the Hudson River Valley. That's my (laughs) happy space. Um, And I sit on the river at Claremont State Park, and I just look out, and just that's how I decompress. But And I do... I need that, Mm -hmm. because it can be overwhelming. Most days, I love that I go to work. I do what I love to do every day, and then I go out. I go to dinner downtown, 
Sean and I go, you know, for a drink somewhere and we run into people who are still working toward the same things. Right. Like everybody is so invested. That's and a very good point you bring up right there. And I, I, I want people to hear that. Yeah. Because with that pessimism, you people think the opposite of what you just said. Yeah. No, it's, you know, you go to the speakeasy. They everybody's super supportive, happy to talk about, you know, the work that we're doing and the work that they're doing in the community. And people don't think of it as a job, you know, and and that's a good thing, again, and a bad thing. Like people a lot of times don't really consider that I have a work life and a not work life, you right. know, because it's just kind of what I do. Right. Um, but yeah, people people just are very happy to talk about it and they want to hear what, you know, we're doing and what's going on with us and, mm-hmm. and the work that we're doing. And, and that makes it 10 times better than working at another institution where there's such a disconnect between the organization and the community. Like, And I would want to say that I do think the historical society and we've been trying to get better at this but i do think that there are communities that we are not reaching mm. and that's an issue i would say with the downtown community at least not even necessarily the historical society and the programs that we do but from a personal standpoint living here working here being invested in like that joint work that i have felt sort of embraced in that process oh, yeah I'm glad that everything has been going well for you because I'd hate to have you on and be like, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> I vetted you beforehand. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, it's, I, I want to get that message out that yeah, this is a great place to call home, mm-hmm. whether you live in the city yeah. or surrounding it. For sure. It's a great place to call home. Wonderful people are here. It's, mm-hmm. But, you know, my, this focuses specifically on Warren while the outlying little suburbs are great places too yeah. um, to, to call home. Uh, the city of Warren gets... Uh, sometimes a unfair reputation. Yeah, for sure. When I was living downtown, people would always say, "Like, are you safe down there? Like, you, you're walking downtown by right. yourself. How do you do that?" And <laughs> well, I take two steps. Right. It begins. I lived downtown for over two years by myself and had no no trouble. And now we're up two blocks on Mahoning Avenue, and again, no trouble. You know, yeah. um. Yeah, I've never had an experience, like a really, you know, sort of traumatizing any anything like that, any kind of bad experience that would make me think twice. I think the conflict we have is Warren's not a huge city, yeah. it's a small city, but it is a city. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to have the same problems you have in a big city, but oh, on yeah, a smaller sure. scale. So to me, that makes it more manageable. Mm-hmm. But again, the the perception of how bad it is in the city is just not accurate. It's yeah. not accurate at all. And that's also part of the mission of this podcast is to get that out yeah. there. It's not by any stretch of the imagination to sugarcoat or to uh, pretend those things don't exist. Right. Because they do. But we can talk about that all day. And that's mm-hmm. what a lot of people like to do is talk about those things versus the nice conversation that we've had today. <laughs> the good things that are going on. Yeah. There's a lot. And even if it was a little bit, you still need to talk about it. Yeah. And and. Focus on that, not the bad things. Focus mm-hmm. on the bad things. I'll start getting philosophical, but uh, <laughs> it's yeah. just not a way I want to live my life. No, That's, me either. Like, me either. I, I yeah. I I don't. And I want my I don't want my family to my kids to live that way of life. I don't want yeah. them to come up in an environment where people only want to dwell on the negative. Yep. I don't. Yeah. I think in your hometown, I don't care if you live in a city or not. Yeah. What affects Warren is going to affect you if you live outside of Warren. Yeah. Uh, you know, immediate area the little burbs around Warren yeah or just don't you know I had somebody the other day tell me that they one of the people who had been on our board of trustees 
say that they had seen something, this was like 20 years ago, but they saw something that the historical society had done. They didn't agree with it. And they were like, I need to get on that board and change things. And I like stopped and I looked at him and I was like, you know, I really appreciate that because I think a lot of people see something that something somebody's doing that, you know, is negative. And instead of saying like, oh, like I have a legitimate reasons why I would want something else to happen. And instead of just, you know, kind of talking about it throughout the community and spreading that like bad will, he decided to approach the organization and ask if he could be on our board. And the board was like, yeah, we'd love your help. You're right. Like, that's a great point. And that's how like those little things like that's how change is done. You just get involved. You jump in. You see what you want to happen, happen. And I, I really would encourage people. To, to do, do that, that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Don't spread yourself too thin, though. No, no, oh no, because oh, that no. can happen real oh, quick. I've been there. It's not, yeah, not good. You'll have people inviting you onto their board, and you just realize, oh, you know, my gosh. I just don't have time to do that many things. Yeah, I, you'll get, you'll lose focus. You get distracted. Yeah. So when I first came to town, I was young and naive and thought I could do everything ever. Right. And I think I jumped on my first year here. I was on five boards. Looking back on it, it's like, my gosh, I just want to like sit my 24 year old self down and be like, Megan, what you you could. (laughs) Yes. Um, And I wasn't good at any of it. You know, like I would miss meetings. I was never, I wasn't able to be, and I mean, I was working three jobs at all these different places, sitting on five committees and more and thinking I could do all Mm -hmm. of this. And there was just not enough time. I was, and even if I did have time, I was worn out and burnout and stressed. It took me a couple of years. Actually, the Ween Foundation's Emerging Leaders Program really helped me think through a lot of that too. And at the end of probably my first three years here, I had sorted a lot of that stuff out. But I think it's really easy to just keep saying yes to things because yes. you're invested and you want things to happen. But that's not helpful for anybody. No. Those organizations or yourself. And if you're going to be involved, you got to be committed. Yep. If you're not, and if you're spread that thin, you can't be committed to For anything. Sure. And that's, that's just not good. Yeah, yeah. I completely agree. Well, I appreciate your time. Yeah, This absolutely. was a great interview. Thanks for doing this. I appreciate being asked. Absolutely. Well, I, uh, I hope whoever listens to this, the millions of people that would be listening <laughs> to it, I'm going to pass Joe Rogan up being the number one podcaster and people in China listen about Little Warren, Ohio. <laughs> but, uh, I, I appreciate the positivity and, and, and you being an outsider, I think, is important to hear you're not an outsider anymore. <laughs> well, thank but, you. I appreciate that. You know, coming, not being born and raised here. Yeah. Seeing your perspective, I think, aids in the idea that there's not a bias because you're from here. I tell people whenever they ask me about things concerning Warren, mm-hmm. well, the first words out of my mouth, I'm biased. And I'll tell you that. I'm biased. You are coming from the outside promoting Trumbull Historical Society, the positive things that you've said can't be positioned as, well, you're from here and you're just trying to make a play, so to speak. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I'm very thankful for that. I'm thankful for your time and all your hard work. Thank you. So hopefully uh, we'll get that pagoda done officially in the next two to three years. (laughs) Next month. It's going to happen next month. (laughs) Groundbreaking. Not groundbreaking. Ribbon cutting. Ribbon cutting. Yeah. But it still won't be 100% done, but I think that's just going to be an ongoing process with maintenance and everything. And we have more projects in the pipeline that I, I look forward to announce. If people are looking to support the Packard Park, Packard Music Hall area projects, reach out. Please do. Get balls rolling. We are, we're, we're making headway. Yeah. And a lot of good are. things are happening at Packard, which before I wrap this up, I, I was talking to someone, I remember who it was, said, they need to fix up Packard Park. Said, well, it's a process, man. Mm-hmm. It's a process. So for sure. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, James. I appreciate being here. Defend one.